Amen. What a great song. Powerful words. That's uh, a lot of theology in that song. Uh, and that's tremendous. Take your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We'll continue the series, uh, Healer of the Broken. You know, as she sang that song, one of the most amazing thoughts to me in all of Christianity and all of the Bible, and I don't have many amazing thoughts, but this really astounds me, is I would have liked to have been in heaven the moment when Jesus died, and now the Lamb of God, with blood, yet not to be applied by the mercy seat, has not been applied yet, but I would have liked to have seen the angels. I would have liked to have seen the saints as the Lamb of God took His blood and justified me and you by placing it on the mercy seat of God. The angels must have been silent. The saints must have been in awe at the Lamb of God being slain for me and you. That's what the blood did. The blood was for me and for you and and as she sang that song, it got to me. I don't want to start in tears because that's never a good place. It goes downhill from there. But, man, that the blood, that's special that it was given for you and for me. So that's completely off topic, but that's, maybe that will help you through your week. The blood was given for you and for me and was applied to the mercy seat of God. Ho- hopefully that will be a blessing to you. It was to me. Mark chapter 2, though, we find ourselves still... Continuing the series, The Healer of the Broken, we've looked at just a few sermons so far on uh, anything where Jesus would come in and do a miracle, but not just any miracle. For instance, we did not cover the turning of the, uh, the water into wine at the marriage of Cana of Galilee. We did not cover that because that was not a healing miracle. We're more specifically looking at how Christ dealt with the subjects of the miracle and how their faith was given or awarded or rewarded or or how Jesus dealt with the miracle and gave them through their faith, whatever the case may be in each particular miracle. Tonight we look at very a very famous miracle, very popular passage to preach from. Mark chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And I believe every time when Jesus does show up, and this is specifically in a house, but I believe if Jesus filled this building and he became so evidently present here, it would be noised abroad, whether by you, whether by me, whether by visitors, but it would be found out that there's something special about that church. And so that's what happens. Jesus comes into a house and it began to be noised abroad. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, 
They let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that thou may knowest, uh, that, that, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's have a word of prayer quickly. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we're just asking for your spirit to move through the word tonight. That's all I ask, Lord. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer, Lord. I'm just a vessel. But please use the power of your word and the power of your spirit to work in the hearts of the hearers tonight. I pray you'll do this in your son's precious name. Amen. Isn't it funny how one person can look at an item and see something completely differently than another person? I give you an example, a chihuahua. When you see a chihuahua, what do you see? I know I see a rat that barks. And they creep me out just as equally as a rat would. Their heads were not meant for petting because they're too rounded. And there's not enough skin or muscle tissue between that, so you feel like you're, you're actually rubbing skull. And for some reason, they're the loudest dogs ever. And you wonder how something that small can be that loud. I will say, though, they have one thing going for them. They are aerodynamically straight. And you say, what do you mean? I mean when I kick them, they fly very well. <laughs> but it's so funny to me how I can see that, and you know, that's what I feel about them. And then other people carry them around in their purses. They take them everywhere with them. And I'm not talking about to PetSmart, I'm talking to Walmart. You're like, man, he's breathing on the, the artichokes. Get that thing out of here. You know, it's just funny to me. I, I think it's funny how one man can see a deer differently than another man. When I see a deer, I see dinner. When other people see a deer, they see Bambi's mom. Even if it has horns, I don't understand that. But it's so funny how some people see things differently. It's funny to me how some people view trees. When I see a tree, I see firewood. I see something to build with. I see things that create oxygen, but God gave them to us for building and for growth. And, and that's a beautiful thing. I love it. Another man sees a tree and he wants to hug it. 
That don't make no sense to me. They're not warm. They don't hug back unless it's really windy. It's just so strange how people can have completely different viewpoints. You know, if this church is going to do something great for Jesus Christ, I believe it would be a good idea to see what his viewpoint is. And I believe if we could adapt that viewpoint and learn more about that viewpoint, then we would be more in his will and more able to do more things for him. So tonight, we're going to look at the man being healed who was sick of the palsy, but specifically looking at how Jesus sees things. And so first of all, I want you to notice uh, in this passage, the congregation who waited. Verse 2 and verse 3 is what we see. Now, there's a gathering, and as I've already stated, when Jesus comes into town and when Jesus begins to do the miracles he can do, preach the word with the power and the authority that he preaches it with, do all the things that Jesus is so famous for, there's going to be a crowd. And you generally crowds followed Christ all throughout his ministry. And right here specifically, we have a time where there was a house and Jesus enters into the house and verse 2 tells us, and straightway many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Now we know how the story ends, and we've already read the whole thing. We know how the man sick of the palsy comes, born of the four. And I really, I think this is true. Dad's most famous, most downloaded sermon on Sermon Audio is Four of a Kind Beats a Full House. And That's a great title, and he's preached from this passage before. We know the story. It's an amazing story, and whether you want to glean teamwork from it, whether you want to glean faith from it, whatever you want to glean from it, one thing I don't think it gets looked at enough is how this man was not the only man near Jesus that day. But not only is that the case... But this man was not the only man that needed Jesus that day. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Well, if you were to look at this, at this story in the, in the book of Luke, it's the same story but told from Luke's viewpoint. The Bible says in chapter 5, verse 17, now pay attention. If you're not going to turn there, pay attention. The Bible says, and it came to pass... On a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Notice this. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, we know the story, right? We know... We know about the man being laid down, a crippled man on a bed, and and Jesus is able to heal him. And that's a great story in and of itself. But one thing I believe is often overlooked is how he was not the only one that day that needed to be healed. For there were Pharisees there, but they weren't crippled. There were doctors of the law there, but they weren't blind. They, they weren't leprous. They, they were healthy. Or so they thought. 
And as Jesus taught the word of God that day, what a great thing to be where Jesus is preaching and teaching. Man, I've heard some powerful preachers in my life, but could you imagine hearing Jesus? And they're listening, and they're hearing every word spoken, but they don't even realize that Jesus was willing to heal them. They heard the word, but never acted upon it. They were there that day as listeners, not followers. Can I ask you a question? What's the reason you listen to preaching? I mean, what's the reason that you in your vehicle would ever download a sermon and listen to it as you're driving down the road? What's the reason that you would come to church and you would listen to a red-headed young whippersnapper and a guy over the hill, not, uh, not you, I'm talking about Dr. House here, a guy over the hill yelling at you and preaching at you and screaming at you, what's the reason? So Jesus can heal you. So Jesus can change you. For the Bible says where Jesus is, his power is present to heal. And I believe tonight as we've already prayed and we've already asked and we're gathered around his word and we're preaching his word and we're singing his praises, I believe Christ is here. And I believe more specifically, his spirit is moving in the hearts of me and of you. And I believe that His power is so present tonight. It's so real. And this is not a a helter-skelter. This is not a spooky thing. This is the power of God working in the lives of the children of God. And He's here. And He's present. Are you open? Because there were a lot of people here this day that needed Christ, that needed Him in their lives. And the Word of God taught from the most powerful voice of God just rolled off their back. I hope tonight you make a conscious decision to never let the Word of God roll out of your head just to roll off your ears, just to listen but not really pay attention. I hope you make a decision that when the Word of God is opened, you will be attentive. Grocery lists, emails, text messages, ball game scores, they can wait for the Word of God is being preached and the power of Christ is present to work in your life. Make that decision. Oh, we've got a lot going on, but I promise it will continue to go on after 8 o'clock. We've got so much in our lives, but I promise you, if we'll just say, Lord, I'm taking this time out for you to modify me, for you to impact me, for you to change me. Lord, work in my heart. If you'll do that, he will. For the power of God is present to heal. Oh, I hope we do not become like this congregation who just waited for something to move them. Just waited for that word or that poem or that parable to really encourage them to move. You say, Brother Andrew, I've not been moved in some years to come down to the altar. You're waiting. 
you're waiting. And if you've not been moved to move, I'd have to say that would be a reason to move. And ask the Lord, Lord, what am I doing? Is there something in my life? Have, have, has my heart become so stony cold that you're not able to speak to me? Uh, like David said, Lord, search me, O oh God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in my heart. Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. Lord, put me on trial. Are you waiting? This crowd was. This congregation was. I remember when uh, I was going to propose to Amy. I had planned it all out. We were in Myrtle Beach, North Carolina. And uh, you say it's in South Carolina. Well, technically there's a North Myrtle. I didn't know that, but maybe you did. But we, we were in North Myrtle Beach, North Carolina. That's them Carolinians. They do everything super confusing anyway. Like put coleslaw. Okay, you don't know this, but... They put coleslaw on everything. And if you order a hamburger, it's going to be a slaw burger. And you want to know what the most confusing thing about North Carolina is? They call hot dogs hot dogs. But they do not call chili dogs chili dogs. They call them hot dogs with chili. Don't act like you enjoy using words. They abbreviate everything. Yeah, I'm down there to like, you know, and they have not said one complete word this whole time. Then they want to say, hot dogs with chili, with some coleslaw on the side. Yeah, I don't understand it. But we were in North Myrtle Beach, and we were, uh, I had planned to uh, propose to Amy this night. We had some time alone, and her parents knew that it was going to happen, and and uh, we, uh, me and Amy decided to go walk on the beach right at sunset. Right? Doesn't that sound, well, that's as romantic as I get anyway. <laughs> Saw it in a movie one time. And I had decided to go on the beach right at sunset. And as the sun slowly set over the water with the orange glow off of all of it, I decided that that would be when I'd pop the question. So my wife and I, we decided to go grab a bite to eat beforehand. And we pull up to Olive Garden, which was my wife's favorite place at the time. And we pulled in and like Olive Garden usually is at supper time, there's a line out the door. And it was like a two hour wait. And we said, nah. And I'm thinking, Two hours, the sun's down. (laughs) So that ain't going to work. So we decided to drive on down the strip there. And uh, we were driving down the road, and we see this big, big sign. And it says, Chuck's Steakhouse, immediate seating available, big arrow. Immediate seating available. Okay, that's great. So we pull in there. We go into the restaurant. And they seat us immediately, and it's a really cool place because they've got dead animals everywhere, so I'm a fan. You know, if it's on your plate and on the wall, it's a good place to go. And so we're, we're you know, we're eating and we got our salad, but for some reason it was taking just an exorbitant amount of time for them to come and actually take our order. And so we're sitting there, and they set us right by the window, 
And it just so happened, this window faced west. And I saw the sun slowly set over the horizon. The only bad thing is, we were not on the beach. We were eating at immediate seating available, but no servers available for an hour and a half. Oh, it was such a shame, and I'm thinking, now the steak was good, the food was good, but I'm just sitting there, man, we've waited too long, I've missed the sun, this is not going to be good. And then my wife gets a bright idea, she wants to go shopping. Now, as you know, I'm a big fan of shopping. Not. So we go to these shops that are on uh, some, like, docks, like a marina walkway thing. I guess, I don't know what it's called, but a pier. Is that right? Pier? Does that sound okay? Yeah, that works. I'm not much on the beach either. I just go fishing. So we're on the pier, and we're walking, and there's shops everywhere. And I promise you, this is how I'm walking. I have her hand right here, and I'm just going... Okay, okay, okay. We did not go in a single store. Because I'm like, we need to get hitched. We finally get back to the beach. Dark as can be. And you know the rest of the story. You know, I wooed her and showed her my bank statement. That was, because <laughs> it definitely wasn't me that night, but I, I op- opened the ring, and it's kind of cool, because I bought it from my brother's place, and, and um, he, uh, it had a little light bulb in it, so it worked out well where it was completely dark on the beach, but I opened it, and the light bulb was like a lighthouse. It just lit up the whole beach. And, you know, I'm acting like a goober, because... I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. You know, this is only my third time to do this. So so it was really strange. And I opened that ring up and I said, I got down on one knee. I said, will you marry me? And she said, no. You know, that's what you want to hear. And so I stayed down there long enough for her to say, yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. And I handed her that ring box. Tip, take the ring out of the box and put it on her finger. I just handed her the whole thing like, it's yours now. (laughs) And I'm in tow. (laughs) You know, but we waited that night far too long. All my plans were destroyed. We just waited too long. You know, I fear fear a lot of Christians wait too long to react to God's movement in their life. You know the best time to react? When you just got saved. The best time to react, you're uh, you're more sensitive at that time. That's why Christians get so hot right after they've been saved. Man, will you take me soul winning? I want to tell other people about that. But after a while, it wears out. And you know the only thing I can point it to? We just get hard. The old story isn't quite as special as it once was. And, and the songs that once brought a tear to our eye, we sing very robotically now, if we sing them at all. Oh, we need to check ourselves, Joshua Baptist. And we need to 
review and analyze our heart and see if you and I have grown cold or hard. See if you and I have waited too long to react to the movement of God in our lives. These people waited and they missed out. Not only did the congregation wait, secondly, I want to notice the crowd who was in the way. Look in verse 2, we just read it straightway. Many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Now, I think this would be a very unique setting. I, don't, I did not do enough research to tell you what the normal architecture of a, a Jewish home was at this time. I don't know if they were open concept. I don't know if you could see the television from the kitchen. I don't really know. But I know that there were so many people in the house that there was not enough room for anybody else to go in. So much so that people were pouring out the door, a lot like Olive Garden on a Friday night. They're pouring out the door, waiting to hear, hoping to hear, hoping to see. But they waited. And they missed out. You want to know something? To be brutally honest, they got in the way. Because there was somebody that needed it. There was somebody who truly needed to be healed. There was somebody with enough faith to trust in Christ as not only their healer, but as their Savior. There was somebody who was wanting to see Jesus that day, but there were too many people. Too many people had gotten in the way. You know, Christian, you and I are called to become a peculiar people. We're called to become special, very unique, different than the rest of the world. The Bible describes us as the salt of the earth calls us children of light, the children of God. And what a great thing that is. We're even commanded in 1 Peter 2.12, having our conversation honest among the Gentiles. What does your life look like to those outside the church? That whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, that by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we're commanded to have good works, to have a good testimony, a life, a report, a reputation in front of everybody outside these walls that you are a Christian. Not only does that verse command us to, but Matthew 5 verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Their glorification will come as a direct result of your glorification. You show God in your life, they want God showing in their life. And that's the truth. The Bible tells us to be different. You know, David was different. For a long portion in his life, David was the most spiritual, the most wise, And I'll even just go as far to say the most godly man in the nation of Israel. He was so close to the Lord. He was so humble, even though he had so much going for him. But there was a time in David's life where that took a turn. We all know the, the story that is so often brought up about David's life. 
really one of his only big failures in his whole life. Man, a guy can live his whole life so good and one or two things ruin his life. And David had one or two mess-ups, and specifically the one where he saw Delilah bathing, and he didn't look away, but instead he indulged. And we know that story, and what a sad story that is. You know what the prophet tells David? Because of his act, the Bible says, How be it, because by this deed... Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. Christian, you're called to be different. You're called to glorify God. We're called to be special. And we know that when we sign up, don't we? We know that at salvation. Well, I've got to make some changes in my life. If you didn't repent of the sins you had done, you're never saved to begin with. It takes salvation Faith in Christ and repentance from sin. So you turned that day. But the Bible says when we live lives that aren't pleasing to God, when we live lives apart from His plan for our lives, we give great occasion to everyone outside of these walls to say, His God ain't even real to Him. Not only did these people wait too long, they should have been asking for Jesus. They should have been, Lord, heal me, change me. Not only did they wait, but man, you look at this. And they just got in the way. Because there were people who needed to hear the story. There were people that needed to meet the Savior. Yeah, I hope this building gets so full at one time that we won't even be able to find enough seats to put people We'll be pulling out black little chairs all out over the auditorium. And then what's going to be funny looking is when we get the black chairs full and we have to go to the children's church and get the plastic rainbowy colorly, colorly ones, that'll be fun. I just made up a word, colorly. That doesn't exist. Colorful chairs. So we're going to have black chairs. We're going to have rainbowy chairs. And this thing is just going to be overloaded with people because Jesus wants to work in us. But if that happens, would you just be taking up a seat? I mean, we're all here for a reason, right? But if it's not for the right reason, I'm sorry to say, you're just kind of in the way. Because somebody can use your seat. Somebody does need to hear the story. Too many people outside this church are hurting. Too many people don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. And if they died at this very moment, they would not have any bones about it. They know they're on their way to hell. There's too many people like that for us to sit in here soaking up this beautiful air conditioning. And looking at all the beautiful uh, banners and the beautiful flowers and, and the beautiful decorations. If you're not here for the right reason, you're just in the way. There were people, doctors of the law, Pharisees and Sadducees sat in there that day, not with an open heart, but looking to criticize. Don't be that person. Don't wait for God to move so much in your life. You just need to move for God. Don't get in the way. But thirdly, I want to take a note at the ceiling that was wrecked. Verse number four, this is a very interesting thought. I hope that maybe it will be a blessing to you. The ceiling that was wrecked. Now, we know the story, and we'll read it here in verse 4. 
There's four friends that bring this sick man to Jesus. He's a cripple. And uh, they have him on a bed, and they can't get through the house because there's just too many people blocking the way. We just talked about that. Verse 4, And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, notice this. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. There was one thing standing in between this man and Jesus, a roof. One man standing between, one thing standing between this man and an entirely different type of life, a roof. An obstacle, something in the way that separated him from the Savior. What is it that gets in your way? What is the obstacle that has you tripping over all the time, but you're not able to break it up? The Savior is able to heal. He's powerful enough to do that. He's wanting you to come. The Bible says, let us draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto us. That's a promise, man. You can mark that down. God wants to work in your life. But what's the obstacle? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Bible is saying, you all have difficulties, you all have struggles, you all have weights, you all have obstacles. Whether it be a sin, whether it be a relationship, you have something keeping you from Christ. And Hebrews encourages us to get rid of it. Break it down, man. It's not worth separation from Christ. It's not worth not having a genuine fellowship with the Savior of the world. What's your obstacle? See, for some, it's some deep, dark sin that you're not revealing to anybody else. But for others, it's obstinance. It's pride. Not willing to admit that you've not got your life taken care of on your own. What's your obstacle? Because these men knew that This man needed to get to Christ, and I I would go so far as to say they would do anything to get there. Would you? Do you want Christ so much to make an impact in your life that you're willing to go to whatever measure it might take you? It was not long ago, uh, my mom was down at the dog pens, and who knows what she was down there doing, probably down there, you know, counting dad's kibble, making sure he was just right up online with that, not buying too much kibble. I don't know what you're doing down there. But but she went down there, and, and you may not know this about my mom, but she's very claustrophobic. And she went into this building. It's a very small, what do you say, 8 by 12, something like that. It's not very big. It was 8 by 12. But this thing is, is, you know, it's 8 by 12. It's got, you know, boots, and he's got a place where he keeps the, the uh, dogs when they have babies. Uh, and so it's kind of tight in there every once in a while. But my di- mom was down there. I don't even know what she was doing. Maybe even doctoring puppies. You do that a lot. But I don't know what she was doing down there that day. But that door closed in behind her. 
And that little latchet lock worked by gravity and fell down right in front of that door. Everything was good until my mom realized she had no way out. Then the walls began to move. And and like a casket, there was no extra oxygen coming through the unsealed windows. She could feel her last breaths at the end of her tongue. It got hotter and hotter, although there's an air conditioner running. It was unbearable. So my mom did what everybody would do in that situation, and Jackie Chan her way out. One kick, two kick, not really even aiming, just scattering holes all throughout the building. Breaks open the doorway because that was what stood between her and freedom. At that point, my mom was willing to do whatever it took to get to the outside of that building. And for those of you that are at all claustrophobic, you know what I'm talking about. One time I was at West Coast Baptist College, and me and my Greek class decided it would be a great idea to see how many people we could get on an elevator, just trying to see if it would take us down. And we did this for about four or five consecutive days, and we started at about 15, then we moved to 16, then we moved to 18, and for some reason this day we just thought it would be a good idea to go 22 people in a very small elevator. We're all in our big winter jackets. We've all got our book bags on, and we hit that button, and that elevator goes down about six feet and stalls. And I'm all about brotherly love, but not like that. There was no airflow, and there was no happy elevator music. It was cries and whines, and we called the dean of men and said, Brother Weaver, we done a done something stupid. I mean, is this, re- uh, is this elevator regulation size or what? I mean, there's a few of us in here. Well, how many are there in there? There's a couple. It's not kind of hard to count, you know. Well, how many are in there? Well, we got one, two, 18, 19, 22 people, Brother Weaver. You're not going to do people in the elevator, you know. Forty-eight minutes later, oh, we were well into the preaching of chapel. We missed. We walked in singing, I surrender all that day. Boy, when that elevator blocked up, you know, locked up, and we're stuck in there with 22 guys, it was hot, we're all in our jackets, there's no airflow at all, 22 guys all right around you, you're stuck like this, you just want to do whatever you can to break free. But that's the sensation that we ought to have to meeting with Jesus. Whatever it takes whether it takes some Jackie Chan moves, whether it takes a maintenance guy. (laughs) What's your obstacle? Is there a sin that is easily besetting you daily, weekly? Is there some relationship that you're not willing to give up, knowing that it's not pleasing and honoring to Christ, 
Is there some location that you go with only your guy friends or with your girlfriends and you know that what you do there is not pleasing to Christ? Is that the thing that's so easily besetting you? Hebrews says, get rid of it and follow Jesus Christ. Man, we need to follow on. And if there's anything in our life that's keeping us from Christ, we just need to wreck it. We need to get rid of it. I really believe that. Not only was the ceiling wrecked, Uh, Fourthly, the concern of Christ's witness. The concern of His witness. Now, if you really want to understand the viewpoint of Christ, here's where it is. Look in verse number 5. The man has been lowered through the ceiling. What a sight that must have been. Now, I hate getting up and leaving in the middle of a sermon. You know, it's distracting. I hate... Uh, And sometimes it's, uh, you know, you have to, whether you get buzzed that your child is being a barbarian or or whether you you have to go take a potty break. I don't know what it is, but sometimes you just have to get up. And I know that's true, but man, I hate having to interrupt the service. But could you imagine Jesus preaching? I don't know how he's preaching. Suppose he said, a sower went forth to sow. And he begins to tell about a sower going forth and how he is the sower, spreading the word of God and how some of the seed would fall on good ground and some would fall on stony ground and other uh, uh, thorny ground. And he's teaching. And all of a sudden, not some little kid runs by. No, no, no. A bed is being lowered from the ceiling. And that's what we have here. And these men lower their friend. Jesus obviously probably couldn't continue to preaching. You know, we try doing that. Even when there's this huge interruption, we try to continue. We try not drawing too much attention to it. But I'm sure Jesus just stopped this day. And the Bible says in verse number 5, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Notice this, son, You're fixed. Go ahead and walk. Go ahead. Son, you've gone through all this effort. Your friends, they love you. They've brought you to me. And that was a wise decision because I have the power. Son, your friends brought you here. They lowered you down. You interrupted the service. But that's okay because you have some great faith. Why don't you just stand up? That's not what he said. Jesus looks at a man crippled. And sees his salvation. For in verse 5, he says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But is that the reason that guy came? I mean, if your friends go through all the effort in the world and take all this time out of their schedule, notice they can't get into the house because it's too crowded. They climb up on the ceiling and that homeowner must have been uh, 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 a little upset. Hopefully has, you know, the mayhem protection insurance, but they rip open the ceiling, they lower the man down, and he's obviously he can't walk, he's got no feeling in his legs, he's sick of the palsy, he's a cripple, can't move. Is that why he came? To have his sins forgiven? I'll tell you this. Jesus knew that was more important. I don't know the reason he showed up that day. Maybe it was just to hear Jesus speak. 
But I know when Jesus saw him, he said, you know what? That's saving faith. When I started the sermon saying, when one man sees something, another man sees a completely different thing, you know what Jesus sees when he looks at each and every one of us? When he looks outside these walls at people that are so lost and depraved in their sin that they feel that it's right and justified, you know what he sees? Someone who needs him. That's it. Say, Brother Andrew, would you please pray for my friend? They're going through a hard time. Their, their son just died in an accident. It was just a terrible thing, and their husband's talking about leaving them. I'll pray for them, but why don't you ask them if they're saved? Because temporary emotional relief will not last past this life. Jesus looked at this man, and he said, you know what? I can heal the cripple thing. That's no problem. But you know what's going to cost me my life? His salvation. His salvation. Jesus said, but when, he, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus came for the publicans and sinners, of which I am one of them, and I'm thankful that he came for me. He didn't just come for his children. He didn't come for his chosen uh, nation. He came for the Jew and the Gentile alike. I'm so glad he doesn't look at me and see nothing but a filthy, rotten sinner, a scoundrel, which is what I am. I'm glad he didn't see that. He saw a sinner who needed to be saved. Can I ask you a very personal question? What do you see when you see a homo? I mean, it's been in the news now more than it has in years. I've been so disgusted the past week and a half because every sports channel has done nothing but talk about homosexuality and acceptance. What do you see when you see one, though? Do you see somebody who's so gross and so vile that you would never even be willing to talk to them? Or do you see a sinner that needs to be saved? Because Jesus sees no distinction between adultery, fornication, and homosexuality. The Bible says if any man offends the law in one point, he is guilty of all. The fact of the matter is it takes just as much blood on the mercy seat of God to forgive your sins as it does Michael, uh, 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 the, the player from Missouri. It takes just as much blood. It takes just as much forgiveness. What do you see? When you see a man that's so dependent upon drugs, whether it be uh, uh, marijuana or whether it be something more severe like uh, crack or, or cocaine or, or something like that, meth, whatever it is. When you see that man so strung out, out of his mind, what do you see? Do you see a man that's lost and hopeless or do you see someone who needs to meet Jesus? What do you see? Because when Christ looks at this world, he doesn't see a bunch of people who are so far gone that he can't do anything with. He sees a bunch of people that need to hear about his salvation and his sacrifice. And they just need to believe on the true Savior of the world. What do you see when you see people lost in their sin? Because Christ sees someone that he died to save. Oh, the concern of Jesus was not that day on his uh, uh, crippledness. It was not on his palsy. It was on 
his sin. I believe if Joshua Baptist Church is going to have the viewpoint of Jesus, it must be that there is nobody that is not qualified to enter these doors and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe if we're going to get the viewpoint of Jesus, we ought to reach everyone. We ought to tell everyone, regardless of skin color, sexual orientation, or any other thing like that, we all need to view people that they need Jesus Christ. The concern of Jesus was on His salvation that day. Finally, I want you to look with me. We're doing perfect on time. We're right on time. Not only did Jesus was more concerned about witnessing to this man and evangelizing him and showing him that he needed a Savior. But the good thing about our Savior is he doesn't start anything he can't finish. And I want you to notice the completion of the wonder. Verses 10 through 12. Now, we know what verses 6 through 9 talk about. Talk about some doctors of the law, you know, people that know the, the Word of God, people who were righteous and holy men, those kind of guys that were sitting in the back says, well, this man can't say thy sins be forgiven thee. Who is he to say that type of thing? And then in verse uh, uh, 9, Jesus talks to him. He says, okay, you have a problem with me saying that. Verse 9, whether is it easier to say the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. Which one's easier? For me to just say your sins are forgiven or for for me to heal this man? And I'm so thankful that day, as verse 10 tells us, uh, Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power to say say, uh, uh, power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. Well, that's a good end of the story right there. Jesus not only said, son, your your sins are forgiven. Not only did he offer him salvation that day, and I'm thankful that Jesus had authority to say, your sins are forgiven. But not only did he say that that day, he said, son, why don't I just go ahead and relieve you of this physical problem you're facing? Why don't I, in all the power and all the authority the Father has given to me, why don't I just go ahead and take your issue from you? And why don't you just have a completely different manner of life than you had before you came in this building today? Go on, stand up. The good thing is Jesus had the power to say that. Because as soon as he did, that man did stand up. And I preach a sermon uh, talking about, have you lost your leap about the man in Acts stood by the, uh, laid by the beautiful gate. And man, that guy gets healed of his uh, disease, of his uh, uh, inability to walk it. Man, he, leaping up, stood, goes into the temple praising God. I couldn't imagine with that little, whoo, I bet the camera guys are hating me right now, don't you? Uh, there, he's up there, he's leaping and shouting. He says, man, I was crippled, but no more. No more am I crippled. Man alive, Jesus Christ has changed me. Do you imagine having this disease, never feeling anything below your waist, uh, just laying on that bed all the time, dependent upon friends, dependent on, upon family, and you're laying on that bed that day and Jesus says, Arise, go ahead and walk. 
Could you imagine? He's not felt anything under his waist in many, many years. And now he, he feels some blood flow and then he feels some muscles and he sees his big toes start to wiggle a little bit. And he says, what is happening? And then Jesus says, come on, son, rise up and walk. And he gets up off the bed and he starts shouting and he starts sleeping. He starts praising God saying, Woo, look what God's done for me. Could you imagine that? You know what? We were all chained. We were all crippled. We were all unable to do anything of ourselves until Jesus came by. Until we met the Savior. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, Wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, which we were one of them, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. And every day our flesh dictated to us what we would do. And every day all we woke up for was to fulfill the desires of this old mortal body of ours. But Jesus changed that. Jesus changed me from a child of disobedience to a child of God. From a child of wrath to a child of obedience unto Him. And Jesus changed all that. And we may not have been so crippled that we could not walk, but Jesus came by one day, and where every day we served our sin, Jesus says, you're going to have a new master now. Serve me. Rise up and walk. I want you to take some heart today. I want you to be joyful today. I want you to get a little excited today that Jesus not only saved you, but he keeps on sanctifying you. It's a special thing we don't serve some type of uh, uh, addiction to alcohol or, or, or some fleshly desire. Or you don't have to. Because Jesus freed us from that. Jesus has power to heal the cripple. He has power to heal the sick. He has power to heal the lame. And He has power to free you from the sin that you struggle with. I'm thankful today that Jesus did not only start a work, but He completes His work. And that day of salvation is such a special day for every Christian. But after that, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Because He's still with us. And He's still helping us along the journey. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The Bible puts it this way, Be ye holy even as I am holy. And Jesus will help you do that. Jesus will help you clean dirty laundry out of your closet you don't want anymore. Oh, I'm thankful for Jesus' healing power and saving power. I read a story today about a man who uh, invented a new thing, and it really became out of necessity this uh, they, in Brazil, they dammed up a river, and this river flooded thousands and thousands and thousands of acres in Brazil. And this man was very entrepreneurial, and he saw something that he could benefit from. And so what he did is he invented a chainsaw that works underwater. 
And so what he does is he sends scuba divers down over 160 feet to go cut down trees. But the unique thing about it is piranhas are a bigger threat than the tree falling on the man. Because when the tree is cut, it doesn't fall down, it floats up. Now before this story, if I had ever told, if I asked you a question, is there anywhere in the world that a a tree falls up? You said, not in your lifetime. But there is. It falls up. You know when you get saved, you know what happens? A whole new set of rules apply where before we were hoarding and trying to get everything for ourselves, now we're supposed to open-handedly give away. Where before we were, trying, we were selfish and we were trying to obey the lusts of our flesh, you know what we are now? We're trying to obey the Spirit of God and feed our spirit daily. We're trying to obey Him and see great things. And before you got saved, you know, you said, there's no way I could do that. That's why people outside the church say, man, I don't know how you don't drink. Man, I don't know how you don't watch that TV show. It's so funny. Well, it's filthy. That's why. Man, I don't know why. You know why? Because we have a whole set of new rules. And Jesus will do some quirky and awesome things in our life if we'll just let him. Man, church, I hope we can see the viewpoint of Jesus. I hope that you see that people, regardless of the errors and mistakes they make, still need him. And I hope you see that Jesus wants to work in your life every single day, helping you grow in his grace.